Now it's recording all your noise. That's quieted most people down. And now we are at peak silence. Except for Maram and her, um, and her chips. <laughs> Alright, that's okay, you can eat your chips, I was just kidding. Do you want some? No, you're ready. Um, so hypothyroidism. So the cool thing is, we kind of already talked about this when we talked about pituitary, and that's going to be the case for pretty much everything. We covered everything in pituitary already, so technically everything else that we cover now is just, oh, I got a yogurt too. Man. Guys, have you ever had this yogurt before? Um, Icelandic provisions. This is the best yogurt I've ever had in my entire life. This one. This one specifically is peach, apricots, and almonds. So I'm very excited. Thank you. So everything we're going to cover from this point on is essentially a review of everything we've already covered in just that one lecture. So it's cool because we get to repeat this content over and over and over, and then we go to farm, and I get to repeat it over and over and over, and then eventually you guys remember it, and then you go on to the next lecture, and then you forget all of it. Um, and that's okay. So hypothyroidism means you have low levels of, of what? Somebody said TSH, which is Right or wrong? It depends on if it's primary or secondary. So you have low TSH if it's secondary. Secondary. And if it's primary, you have you have low T4 no matter what. Right? It's hypothyroid. Your T4 is always low. But in primary, your TSH is and in secondary, it's low. So how do you diagnose? By TSH and or free emphasis on free T4. Free T4 is only free. It's what you care about. It's able to exert metabolic actions. T4 that's bound to protein you don't care about because it's not doing anything. So TSH free T4. Um, if the patients have low thyroid levels, what are their symptoms going to be? Weight gain. Weight gain. What is it? Cold intolerance, constipation, bradycardia. Um, it could have hypertension. Delayed relaxation of deep tendon reflexes, which means that they don't relax as fast as they're supposed to, which means they stay contracted longer than they're supposed to or in the active phase of the reflex. All right? Cool. So what do you treat these people with? And if you don't treat them and they get sick or they stop taking their medication and their levels get too low, what's the complication that we talked about? Somebody said it. One of y'all said it. I think you said it. Say it louder. Say it with the chest. I'm pretty sure you said it. Mix edema. Yes. So, yes. Mix edema crisis and or coma, whatever they want to use nowadays. Um, and you know that it's mixed edema because they're presenting with what? 
what, what's the difference between that and just regular old hypothyroidism? Huh? Hypothermia, yeah. So pretty much any extreme uh, symptom. So if they have like extreme bradycardia and they're presenting, the main thing that they typically use is neurologic deficits. So stupor, confusion, altered mental status of any kind. That's what they're going to give you in a patient with myxedema crisis to clue you into it. So it's essentially unstable hypothyroid patients with some kind of neurologic factor playing into it. Usually confusion, stupor, coma, depending on how bad it is. What about the pre-tibial myxedema? Would that be considered like, like a, I guess, a bad case version? No. Pre-tibial myxedema does not tell you that they are in myxedema crisis. So... That's it. That's everything you needed to know about hypothyroidism. Um, other thing you should know about hypothyroidism is that patients who are hypothyroid can present with carpal tunnel syndrome. Um, don't ask me why. And specifically, bilateral carpal tunnel syndrome. So patients, uh, and there's pants questions, I promise you, all the time, where they're like, oh, you have a patient, and they're presenting with numbness and tingling, to the first three digits and have a positive tenal sign bilaterally, uh, which of the following tests would be useful in your diagnosis? And you're looking and you're like, got TSH, and what the hell does anything have to do with carpal tunnel? TSH, hypothyroidism, bilateral carpal tunnel syndrome. They love asking about it. I don't know why they love it. Um, I've never seen anybody with hypothyroidism and bilateral carpal tunnel, but the pants loves it. My exam may love it too. <laughs> um, so risk factors, they do like testing on risk factors too. Uh, the easy one is a history of thyroid disease for, for hypothyroidism. Um, but also they like asking about Down syndrome. Uh, I don't see them ask too much about Turner syndrome or uh, MS, but I have seen Down syndrome. They like to ask about Down syndrome for atrial septal defects, uh, risk of dementia, and also hypothyroidism. They like it. Uh, most common cause of hypothyroidism? Autoimmune. And most common cause of hyperthyroidism? Graves disease, which is also autoimmune. Okay. Um, antibodies associated with Hashimoto's? Which one do you say? That's for Graves. That's Graves. TPO. Thyroid peroxidase. Right? Um, the TTG, anti-TTG, tissue deciliac disease. Yeah, sorry. I mean, you guys got your OSCE coming in. So, yes, um, anti-thyroid uh, peroxidase hormone, autoimmune, most common. Okay? Uh, we already know that if you have pituitary gland is not secreting TSH, you're going to have a secondary hypothyroidism. Um, and if your uh, hypothalamus is not secreting um, thyroid releasing hormone then, or thyrotropin releasing hormone then you're not going to produce TSH which means you're not going to produce thyroid hormone and that's a tertiary issue am I going to test you on tertiary issues? no is your pants going to do it? no but um, usually in all these conditions it's, it's kind of the same idea you're going to have um, your, your hypothalamus in, in a secondary or tertiary issue usually your hypothalamus and pituitary are doing the same thing so if you have a secondary issue that's causing hypersecretion or hyposecretion, usually it's very similar on the level of the, um, of the hypothalamus, so for the most part. But they don't, they don't really test on it. But if you're, 
Um, if you're having a secondary cause, I mean, you're having low TSH, or if you're having a tertiary cause, right? Let's say you're having a tertiary cause, a hypothalamic cause of uh, hypothyroidism, right? Your hypothalamus is not secreting thyroid-releasing hormone. Your levels of uh, T4 are going to be what? Low. And your levels of TSH are going to be? And your levels of TRH are going to be? If you have hyperthyroidism related to an adenoma in your hypothalamus over-secreting TRH, your levels of T4 are going to be? And your levels of TSH are going to be? So they kind of mimic each other. So, and, and clinically speaking, you don't usually care if the problem is in the hypothalamus or the pituitary, because if it's a tumor, you're going to see it when you do your MRI, and you're going to have the same treatment, which is surgery. Or if it's a medication treatment, it's going to, like, for instance, octreotide, will work whether you're being overstimulated by the hypothalamus or the pituitary. And if it's not a hypothalamic or pituitary problem, it's a primary problem, so it doesn't change too much in the course of care, so it's not really tested too much. But just so you guys can think it through, if you do happen to see a question, it's usually kind of very similar to a secondary issue, just they will also have to give you the releasing hormone for you to be able to work your way through a hypothalamic issue, all right? So other causes are atrogenic. So a uh, patient has hyperthyroidism, and you do surgery, and then now they have hypothyroidism, all right? So atrogenic. Uh, medications, they like to ask you about amiodarone. Um, amiodarone um, has the letters IOD in there, as in like iodine, um, and it can cause hypothyroidism as well, um, among other things. It can also cause hyperthyroidism, which is confusing. Um, Euthyroid 6 syndrome, which we're not going to test you guys on, but subacute uh, viral thyroiditis, also called the Corvin uh, thyroiditis, you will definitely be tested on, on my test, on the pants. And this is a transient increase, in, or sorry, a decrease in the levels of thyroid hormone um, following a viral infection. Usually, the patients present with hyperthyroid state, and then after, they present with hypothyroid state. And throughout the entire time, you don't really do anything. You just wait or give them NSAIDs because sometimes it's a little bit painful. So you give them NSAIDs to help with the pain, and it's transitory. Uh, you don't give them medication to reduce the levels of thyroid hormone because then when they go back to normal, they're going to be too low. You don't give them medications when it's low to increase it because when it goes back to normal, it's going to be too high. So they're going to give you a patient that has a recent viral infection and now presents with either a hyper or hypo, depends on the vignette, uh, presentation. But if it's after a viral infection and there's tender thyroid, those are the indications that it's um, uh, subacute or decorbin's thyroiditis. Right? And it's important to remember that this can be hyper and hypo, depending on what phase you catch them and that you don't treat it with anything except for medications to help with their pains and symptoms. And cancer can cause hypothyroidism. So we already talked about this. In primary, you're going to have low levels of T4, and you're going to have high levels of TSH. And secondary, they're both going to be low. All right? And in tertiary, everybody's low. We've talked about this like 30 different times. I feel like everybody's got this pretty down, right? So signs and symptoms, um, there's a lot of them. Which ones am I going to ask you about? 
the ones that are red, but maybe some other ones too. Because like cold intolerances in red, I may test you on that. Um, but yeah, these are the main ones. Weight gain, constipation, carpal tunnel, uh, brittle nails, thinning of the hair, face facial edema, delayed relaxation of deep tendon reflexes, and thinning of the outer half of the eyebrows. These are the most common ones that will be tested, right? Specific to Hashimoto's is going to be, uh, and Hashimoto's is what type of disease? Autoimmune. Awesome. Anti-TPO antibodies, those are the type of things that are going to clue you in. You're going to have uh, other autoimmune symptoms. So if I give you patients who are suffering from multiple autoimmune conditions, that's helpful in letting you know that their thyroid issue is probably also autoimmune. So no universally accepted screening test. However, TSH is the most um, sensitive indicator if you suspect it. So when it says no universally accepted screening test, it means like they don't tell you, hey, at this age, start ordering a TSH and a T4 level on all your patients. So <coughs> providers may or may not even order it. So your provider may order TSH and T4 since you're pretty young. Um, they may not order it until you're older. They may never order it unless you have some kind of signs or symptoms of hyper or hypothyroidism. But most people generally screen for it from a relatively young age uh, during the annual visits. Okay? But there's not like a specific guideline for it. When you do need to test for it because you suspect an issue, you test for TSH. It's the most sensitive test. And if you're going to test for the actual levels of thyroid hormone, you test for free T4. Already talked about that. Um, subsequent testing, that's for your information. You don't need to know this for any test questions. You do need to know. Anti-TPO is the most specific um, in the diagnosis of Hashimoto's. You should also know anti-thyroglobulin, um, but it's not as specific. If you suspect a secondary issue, then you should be looking for problems in the pituitary gland. Okay. So if I give you a patient who presents with like bitemporal hemianopsia and signs and symptoms of hypothyroidism with low TSH and low T4, your next test should be what? A what? An MRI. Okay? Because you're suspecting a pituitary problem. Right? If I gave you a patient who's presenting with signs of hypothyroidism um, and I don't give you bitemporal hemianopsia, the best next test should be a anti-TPO would not be the best next test, but it would be a very good consideration. The best next test would be a what? TSH. Okay. If I tell you which of the following tests would be helpful in the diagnosis of specifically Hashimoto's, anti-TPO would be a really good answer, right? Because TSH won't tell you anything specifically about the cause, just whether it's primary or secondary. But TPO will help you find out if it's autoimmune or related to Hashimoto's, which usually it is. So again, diagnosis, best screening test is TSH. You're going to, um, if you get the values for TSH and T4, in primary, you're going to have high TSH, low T4. In secondary, they're both going to be low. There is something called subclinical hypothyroidism. Um, is it important for you to know? Eh. Maybe for your pants, um, because they may give you these findings and you're going to have to kind of know. So this is patients, and usually you don't really find out about it, because usually the patients don't have too many signs or symptoms. 
but maybe you do their, their levels and the TSH is high, but the T4 is normal, right? So the TSH being high means that the pituitary gland is doing what? It's trying to compensate for what it perceives to be low levels of but the T4 is still normal, so it's subclinical. Okay, so will they ask you about that on your pants? Maybe. Um, am I going to ask you about it on my test? I don't think so. Okay, but subclinical. So essentially, the TSH is pointing towards hypothyroidism, but the T4 is not low yet. It's still normal. All right. Um, T Anti-TPO antibodies are good to help you, uh, and also antithyroid globulin, but mainly TPO. Uh, if they give you TPO and thyroglobulin, TPO, and they will give you both, and I will give you both, and I'm also going to put the one for Graves, and I'm also going to put some other weird ones that you're going to hear about later for other conditions, so know them, all right? Um, and euthyroid 6 syndrome, we're not going to worry about it. So imaging, um, thyroid imaging for hypothyroidism specifically is not usually done uh, unless, unless you suspect that the reason you're having hypothyroidism is a mass, a cancer, or something like that, in which case the test that's usually done is an ultrasound. Okay? And if you suspect some kind of malignancy, the best test to help you diagnose that is going to be a what? Cool. A biopsy, a fine needle biopsy. Um, ultrasound guided biopsy, however you want to say it. Sometimes they do this weird thing where they give you a patient with either hyper or hypo, and then they give you stuff that makes you think about cancer, like weight loss, like voice changes, like an irregularly shaped mass that has been growing over X number of years, and they ask you what the best test is to diagnosis, and they'll put the best next test. And usually when you think about best next test, you think about like non-invasive, mild and you're like cool ultrasound but it's pretty safe that when they give you something that they're building up to be cancer you regardless of whether it's invasive you're doing a biopsy okay um yeah i had a very big fight with the previous person who taught this course because they gave me a test and then there was like a they had like a what sounded like a cyst on the exam what's the best next test and i was like oh they had ultrasound they had, and they had biopsy nice <laughs> they had ultrasound and they had biopsy and I was like, all right, best next test, ultrasound. And then they're like, no, biopsy. And I was like, well, why don't you do an ultrasound first? And they're like, oh, because it might be cancerous. And I was like, yeah, well, the ultrasound's gonna help you characterize it. And I was like, and you know what? In, in a real setting, you'd probably do an ultrasound guided biopsy. <laughs> so, what's that? So, but the, the pants does it, and Roche does it, and all these other things do it. If they give you both, go for biopsy if you think it's cancer. All right? Um, so, CT or MRI, uh, are not commonly used for diagnosis of thyroid imaging, and I would never pick that as an answer on your pants. Um, an MRI you would use if you suspect a pituitary problem. We talked about mixed edema crisis. It's the life-threatening manifestation. It happens in people who are um, elderly, people who are acutely ill. A lot of times when you're acutely ill, it increases the need for thyroid hormone to carry out metabolic processes. So somebody who's hypothyroid is going to become more hypothyroid, or not more hypothyroid, but they're going to have an increased demand for thyroid hormone. And if they are a hypothyroid patient, their body is not going to produce 
and meet that excess demand that your body has in that acute situation. So if you're exposed to freezing elements and your body's like, I need to pump out some thyroid hormone, uh, get the metabolism going, generate some heat, their body won't be able to do that. And they're going to be using up all their free levels of thyroid hormone and they're going to run out of that pretty quickly regardless of whether they're on appropriate treatment or not. And then usually in these situations, they become more acutely ill and they go into myxedema crisis, right? So patients who have some kind of trigger, pneumonia, infection, elderly, uh, extreme elements, and they present with some kind of neurologic or cognitive symptoms like confusion, coma, yada, yada. Um, and that's pretty much it. Hypothyroidism and pregnancy. Uh, it's important to know that if you don't treat hypothyroidism in pregnancy, then the fetus will not produce thyroid hormone, and they will not develop properly. And the clinical manifestation of that is usually a lot of cognitive impairment in the child. Um, that's what they call cretinism. So yes, they do like asking you about hypothyroidism in pregnancy um, and making sure that it's adequately treated to prevent these complications in the fetus. Uh, management, replace the thyroid hormone with levothyroxine and monitor the TSH levels to make sure that you're doing it appropriately. If the TSH is, bless you, the TSH is high, their thyroid levels are low, you give them levothyroxine and their TSH levels should start doing what? Going back down. And when it goes into the normal reference range, that means that you have successfully treated them. And if you check it and they're like super low, that means that you have over-treated them. Then you need to chill, right? When you dispense a medication, you dispense it as written because it's one of the medications that's very sensitive to inactive ingredients and the amount of available drug can be altered significantly and cause severe effects if you don't. Um, in elderly patients, you wanna start slow because if you give them too much Thyroid hormone. Uh, what does the thyroid hormone do to the heart? It's going to speed it up. You want to speed it up slowly. You don't want to speed it up too fast. You don't want to give them arrhythmias. All right? Can you taper off it to make your thyroid back to normal? Your thyroid's not coming back to normal. What's the most common cause? Autoimmune. So if, you're, if your body destroys your thyroid, are you ever going to regenerate your thyroid tissue? No. And if you did, it would destroy it again. Right? And what's what's the other cause? Surgery. Huh? Surgery. So if you have hyperthyroidism and you remove the thyroid, are you ever going to regenerate it? No. no. Right? So you never taper off. This is a lifelong medication. Um, so mix edema crisis, your treatment's going to be warming the patient, IV hydration, and high dose IV levothyroxine. That's your main treatment. Right? Not oral, IV. Medication is best taken in the morning. If you take it at night, they're going to do what I do and not sleep. Um, so you take it in the morning. Pregnancy, illness, and surgery typically increases the need for medication. So patients who are pregnant typically need more thyroid hormone. Um, normally, their body does that on its own. But if they don't have a normal functioning thyroid, their body will not do that on its own. So you would need to do it for them. TSH is monitored every four to six weeks. 
while you're on active treatment. And then uh, every one to two years, one stable. Is that what it says? I'm pretty sure that's what it says. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Okay, cool. Hyperthyroidism, the opposite of everything we just said. <laughs> Whoops. That was an accident, but perfect. <laughs> so most common cause? Autoimmune. Alright. Um, if you have patients that are hyperthyroid, what's the treatment? Take it out. Or? So you can, well, let's talk about first, because uh, the treatment at the end of the day is to stop it from being, right? So definitive treatments is going to be surgery, and iodine, 131. So iodine, surgery, good. Um, if you're going to do medical management for symptoms, beta blockers, like propranolol, um, for pregnancy, to lower, what is it? PTU. And the preferred medication due to ease of dosing and minimal side effects? You have it. You, were, you had the M sound coming out. Methimazole. Yes, methimazole. Okay? Um, good. That's pretty, much, that's pretty much it. So even though hyperthyroidism, the most common cause is from Graves' disease, there's other causes as well. Um, you can have adenomas or that secrete thyroid hormone not just in the pituitary, but on the actual thyroid gland itself. Um, you can have viral illness, which is called what? We just talked about it. The Corvins or subacute. And we talked about it for hypo, so you're like, well, wait, it's in hyper too. It causes both. It'll cause a transient increase and then a transient decrease. Right. And you do not replace thyroid hormone in those patients. And you're going to know that it's the Corvins because they're going to have what? Uh, following a viral infection. Following a viral infection and pain. All right, um, and then if you are treating somebody for hypothyroidism and you do too good of a job, they can have hyperthyroidism, right? Iatrogenic hyperthyroidism. So the level of T4 is going to be high, regardless, primary, secondary, tertiary. The level of TSH is going to be in primary decrease be low, right? In secondary, it's going to be increased. Increase. So this is a weird one. Usually when we talk about autoimmune conditions, we're like, oh, it destroys it and the thing doesn't work anymore. So for Graves, it's weird because the antibodies actually stimulate the cells to produce more thyroid hormone. Not a lot of conditions that do that. And because of that, that's a very, 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 very commonly tested topic. So anti-TSH receptor antibodies um, is going to be a very commonly asked question. So the pathophys and the mechanism of, of the condition is very, very commonly tested. So specific to Graves' disease, you're going to have the exophthalmos, which is the bulging of the eyes, um, and pretibial myxedema, which is swelling in front of the, sh like on the shins. Um, and they may have thymic hyperplasia as well. In subacute thyroiditis, specifically, after a viral infection and painful. All right. What happened? I triggered your phone. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Uh, in toxic multinodular goiter, uh, the word multinodular.
tells you that they have multiple nodules. So on physical exam, on physical who do I need snort? Nice. That's a first time for everything. So on physical exam, they're gonna have multiple nodules. Alright? Um, thyroid storm is the opposite of myxedema crisis, and where patients have too much thyroid hormone and they're going to be too tachycardic, right? So the same idea as with um, myxedema, they're going to have usually they're going to present with some kind of neurologic symptoms, delirium, agitation, um, but severe tachycardia is one of the big symptoms they present with. They may present with AFib, um, so if, if they're already predisposed to developing it, they, it may trigger and initiate it. So they may be presenting in state of AFib, very tachycardic, um, so always keep that in mind. So we have signs and symptoms that are going to be present regardless of what's causing the condition, and that's a huge list of things. Heat intolerance, palpitations, weight loss, hyperreflexia, lid lag. Um, those are the main symptoms that I want you guys to focus on. All right? We've already talked about diagnosis. Um, so. When it comes to subacute thyroiditis, one thing they may tell you too, and we already talked about the fact that it's painful and it's post-viral, but one thing that they may give you too is they may give you inflammatory markers. Okay? So we all know in clinical practice, ESR and CRP are almost useless, but uh, unless it's like super elevated in the setting of giant cell arteritis, but uh, in a test question, it's super helpful because it's telling you that the problem is an inflammatory problem. So in this case, for thyroid issues, you're worried about subacute thyroiditis, right? So they will give you elevated ESR and CRP, sometimes. They don't usually do a needle aspiration for subacute thyroiditis, um, but if they did, you'd find necrosis of the follicular cells, as well as neutrophils and lymphocytes. But it's not commonly tested because usually it's transient and you wait and you're not sticking a needle in their thyroid. And giant cell thyroiditis sounds way too much like giant cell arteritis. <laughs> Alright, so you can use radioactive iodine to kill thyroid cells, or you can use radioactive iodine um, studies to test for certain conditions. So depending on what you're using, um, you can either kill the cells or you can just highlight the cells, all right? So when you're trying to highlight the cells, it can be very helpful by telling you how much of the thyroid gland is actually uptaking iodine, all right? So in Graves' disease, what kind of disease is that? Autoimmune, okay? Autoimmune. So autoimmune, is it going to have any specific affinity for any one part of the thyroid gland or any... No, it's going to cause activation and secretion in all of the thyroid. So if you do an iodine uptake study of the thyroid gland, it's going to appear 
diffusely. Okay? If you have a toxic adenoma, an adenoma means that there is a mass, right, of some kind that's hypersecreting, right? And it's one. So when you do a scan, what are you going to see? You're going to see one area that is hypersecreting. Right? That's what you would see if there's an adenoma. That's also referred to as a hot nodule because it's active. So if you have a toxic nodular or multi-nodular goiter, that means that they're going to have multiple nodules, and those multiple nodules are going to be hypersecreting. So if you do an uptake, you're going to see what? You're going to see multiple hot nodules. All right? Um, so subacute thyroiditis, uh, the overproduction of thyroid hormone is, is not as much as some of these other conditions. So typically, but it's, it's also not localized. So typically you're going to see diffuse uptake, but it's not going to be as significant. They don't usually test on um, thyroiditis when it comes to these studies because usually you're not ordering it. The patients usually are not extremely symptomatic and it's transient. So this test is usually not ordered. The symptoms are usually resolved by the time you can even schedule all this stuff. It's usually tested for Graves' disease, which has diffuse uptake, strong diffuse uptake. It's tested for an adenoma, which is a focus of uptake. Um, and it's also tested for malignant lesions, which typically present as cold nodules, which means that they are not producing an area that is lacking production. Okay, so cold nodules are concerning for malignancy. And those are the ones they typically test on. All right. Obviously, if the patient's hyperthyroid because of too much levothyroxine administration, there's not going to be anything on the scan because it's not the thyroid gland that's producing it. It's you that's giving them too much. So there's not going to be any specific uptake on the thyroid gland. All right. Do you guys have any questions about this? This is kind of like super intuitive. It makes sense. Is anybody super confused by this? No? No? Alright, cool. So treatment for hyperthyroidism, we've already talked about. Um, so for thyrotoxic crisis, beta blockers are going to help with symptoms. So propanolol, symptoms. Antithyroid medications, PTO, methimazole. Methimazole is your preferred option except for first trimester of pregnancy, in which case you use PT. Uh, in the last class, and I will tell you guys this story because I'm a little annoyed, but in the last class, I did an exam and I covered this, just like you guys all know, pregnancy, PTU. 99% um, of the class got the question right, but one person got it wrong, because, and they were like, oh, well, if the patient just found out they were pregnant, I was assuming that it was a first trimester of pregnancy. Our, um, yeah, there was a first trimester of... Pre no, sorry. I, I forgot what it was, but essentially they were confused because based on the timing of when the patient found out, they were like, it's now safe to give methimazole again and I'm not picking PTU. Something to that essence. Even though I didn't give weeks, I didn't give anything. I just said the patient's pregnant. And then even though everybody got like an A on that test, they argued that, that question. Oh my goodness, right. Yeah, and usually it's submitted through a testing committee, so we don't know like who's complaining about questions, but when you're the only one in the class who gets it wrong. <laughs> so, I got you, right? Uh, 
data, right? Data doesn't lie, right? Yeah. Unless somebody who got it right was complaining, right? <laughs> Which would be really nice. So uh, thyroid testing, four to six weeks until stable, and then uh, once annually or every two years. So in Graves' disease, radioactive iodine uptake is the preferred treatment. Obviously, if the patient is pregnant, you're not going to give them radioactive iodine. Um, you don't even want to be around children or pregnant women for a few days after you're treated with radio radioactive iodine. And you do not get pregnant for at least four months after you've undergone treatment. So they do like to test on this stuff. So for a few days after the treatment, you don't even approach a child or pregnant woman. All right, for four months, you don't get pregnant. And you obviously don't use it while you are actively pregnant. So if a patient has Graves' disease, you probably, and they're pregnant, you treat them with what? PTU. And then when they're not pregnant, or surgery or radioactive iodine, right? They have Graves' disease, and they found out, they happen to find out while they're pregnant, PTU, you can go back to methimazole after the first uh, trimester, then after birth. You can do radioactive iodine. The only issue is that they're going to have to avoid their child for a few days, right? Um, which is okay. They're not going to be able to have breast milk for a few days, right? Um, but it's fine. And then obviously they would try to at least not, I don't know who has a kid four months after they had one, but they should avoid doing that. Right? That's rough. So... Um, Another question they really like to ask about is complications of surgery. Um, a lot of times the laryngeal nerves can be affected during surgery, the recurrent laryngeal nerves. So a patient who had hyperthyroidism, had it treated through surgery, now presents with hoarse voice, a surgical complication, damage to the recurrent laryngeal nerves. That's something that you will be tested on on my exam for sure, on the pants for sure, and brain bowl for sure. You'll be tested on that everywhere. Somebody on your surgery rotation, if you do endocrine surgery, will ask you about it. Um, so, subacute thyroiditis is transient and usually lasts a uh, month or two. And the only thing you do is you treat their symptoms. For the pain, you give them NSAIDs. And if they have any hyperthyroid-like symptoms, you give them beta blockers. You don't do surgery. You don't do radioactive iodine ablation, um, and you don't give them PTU or methimazole. So goiter, um, I was always confused. I always thought goiter was like a sign of like too much thyroid. So you can have a goiter for a lot of reasons. Uh, yeah, it could be hyper or hypo. Nothing to do with either of them. There's a lot of different reasons you can have a goiter. So next we're going to talk about neoplastic disorders, which is cancer. So you can have a thyroid uh, nodule. Thyroid nodules can be caused by many different causes. Um, when you're getting a history on these patients who have a thyroid nodule, you want to ask about history of medullary thyroid carcinoma. Um, we talked about medullary thyroid carcinoma a couple different times already. Um, there was a medication we talked about that you have to be careful with in patients who have a history of medullary thyroid carcinoma for diabetes. What med was that? The GLPs, yes. the GLP-1s, 
case three of mandatory thyroid carcinoma, you want to be careful with them, right? Um, GOP-1 also for what other condition? Man, you guys are slacking. This, this Oski got you guys tripping. Huh? Pancreatitis. All right, GLP-1s and DPP-4s, pancreatitis. GLP-1s, medullary thyroid carcinoma, right? Um, so on physical exam, they're going to have a palpable mass on the thyroid. Okay, so you have a palpable mass. The palpable mass is going to be non-tender. If it's tender, you're more worried about something like subacute or something else. Um, it's non-tender and it's fixed. Sometimes they'll have hoarseness of the voice because it extends deep into the tissues and affects the recurrent laryngeal nerve, so they can present with hoarseness. All right? Painful swallowing because it's adhering to tissues and causing all sorts of pulling and pain and discomfort or difficulty swallowing, but usually not actually tender to palpation or at rest. Okay? So um, there are benign causes as well. Uh, colloid cyst or follicular adenomas, which are much more common than cancerous masses. But they are usually not firm and irregular and fixed. All right? They're more fluid-filled, soft. So diagnosis for thyroid nodules. Uh, typically, I mean, you want to do a TSH and a T4 because you want to check to see if it's like a hyper-secreting adenoma, if it's affecting the thyroid levels. So TSH and T4, uh, free T4, are still really good tests to order. Uh, calcitonin. And serum calcium levels are really important for medullary thyroid carcinoma, which can cause hypercalcemia in patients. It's a very commonly tested concept. Um, and ultrasound for nodules is important because you're looking for characteristics of malignancy versus non-malignancy, right? So if it's a well-circumscribed, small, uh, fluid-filled lesion, it's more like a cyst. If it's an irregularly shaped, vascularized lesion, then it's more malignant concerning, right? So those are things you're looking for. You're looking for irregular margins, vascularity, microcalcifications. Fine needle aspiration or biopsy is the most accurate way to determine if it's malignant. So um, patients who have lesions that are less than one centimeter, uh, you can just follow it up with periodic ultrasounds. You don't even need to biopsy it. If it's greater than one centimeter, then, or if it has characteristics of malignancy that are concerning, which we talked about, then you would biopsy it. For benign lesions, you don't do anything. You just keep monitoring them every few months, or every six months to a year. If it's malignant, you don't just remove the lesion, you remove the whole thyroid. This is a crazy slide, huh? Yeah. So risk factors for malignancy include radiation exposure. So patients who have, in their medical history, in the question, a history of exposure to radiation for any number of reasons, um, you should have a higher suspicion for malignancy. Um, patients with a family history of thyroid carcinoma, you should be more worried. Uh, men with thyroid nodules are more commonly malignant than women. And obviously advanced age would increase your suspicion.
So we already talked about it. Usually it's painless, but they will feel fullness in the neck, and they can have dysphagia or hoarseness, depending on the extent of the lesions. Swallowing is obviously going to be uncomfortable if you have an abnormal mass in your neck. It's going to feel weird when you swallow. And if it's attaching to a lot of tissues, it can cause pulling and uncomfortable sensations, but it's not necessarily pain. It's difficulty swallowing and hoarseness. Fixed, non-tender, and firm with irregular borders. That's your, your keywords that you're looking for. You're going to biopsy them. If they have high calcitonin, then you're concerned about medullary thyroid carcinoma. Um, the only time you're doing a CT or an MRI is for staging and to see the, because uh, sometimes when you do an ultrasound, you, you don't get a really good feel for um, the surrounding tissues, lymph node involvement, spread. You're really just looking at that one solitary lesion. You don't get a good idea of any um, metastasis, lymphatic involvement. So at CT and MRI is only really useful for the staging. Otherwise, you could do the ultrasound for diagnosis. Okay. Most common type is papillary thyroid carcinoma, which happens to be the least aggressive. Um, but you should know that anaplastic is the most aggressive uh, and also the least common. Treatment is going to be surgery and then replacement of thyroid hormone after surgery. Just because you do surgery and you remove the thyroid hormone doesn't mean that they can't uh, have malignancy that returns, so you still do periodic ultrasounds of follow-ups as well with them. Are we done? Yes. Yeah, nice. What time is it? 3.30. Uh, How do we do that? You cut down the slides. Give you one more lecture? You want to work ahead to get that day off now? Do you guys, do you guys want to stay and do like review questions? You want to call it? Okay, our whole next class is going to be it's going to be obesity for farm and then review. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.